good to be here with you guys today. I'm very excited about these things that are happening in our church. I'm glad to see um, uh, some of our younger people. By that, uh, they're, they're slightly around the middle age area. Um, Josh Lulai, uh, Rich Edgerton, both have had very serious health uh, incident. Thanks, Brian. Uh, health incidents. Because I'm old, I can't. <laughs> Brian made this, and he made it out of lead, uh, so I can't lift it, but he can. So, yeah, you're stronger than I am. Okay, feel better about yourself. Yeah. No. Um, anyhow, uh, very grateful to see how God's worked in both their lives, uh, bringing health back uh, uh, into the uh, into into their their lives, their family, uh, and the things that I know that weigh on them. Uh, so, kind of celebrating that with you, but also. Uh, usually we have uh, Steve and Ashley Malone. They sit typically right behind uh, Brent and Rachel there. Uh, they're not here, but they have an excuse absence today because uh, they're, they're proud parents. Uh, and uh, I, yeah, that's right. I believe that happened on Friday. And I'm, I'm a little sketchy on the details, and I definitely rush in where angels fear to tread. Uh, but if I understand right, um, her name is Danielle Craig. Is that correct? His name. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I had another person tell me that they just had a grandkid, too, and I got it confused. So I apologize, Steve and Ashley, if you guys are watching this on YouTube or whatever. Uh, I'll try to make it right. Um, but it's in the area of relationships, I think, that we struggle the most. And uh, interestingly, um, you know, that was, that was difficult for me to remember the name. But uh, my friend uh, Jeff Faust, his grandbaby's name is Maven. And I said, well, why Maven? They said, well, because it had to be an M. All the girls and all the, you know, you know the, the whole family, uh, they're all named M's. I said, really? I said, that's kind of surprising because... We have that same thing going on in our family. Uh, My wife's name is Mandy. Her sister's name is Mara. Her niece's name is Marin. And, of course, our daughter's name is Mayim. And I'm like, there's a pattern here, isn't there, honey? And she said, yeah, there's a pattern here. There's been one a long time. This is important. Once she sort of drove that point home, I said, um, because I thought when we met in college, you know, she was after me for good looks and all that stuff. And she said, no, none of that. Uh, when, when I introduced myself to you and I asked you what your last name was and you said more, you're like, I'll take that one. Because uh, she wanted to get over on her sister by having M.M. And, uh, and, you know, if it's more, it's like, yeah, more better, Mara, uh, which is a whole thing I stay out of. But uh, isn't it interesting how our minds work when it comes to uh, what's important and what's not? And as God is looking at you and I, he's saying there are important things and then there are not so important things that will make this relationship work between you and I. And one of the things that we are challenged by week by week is trying to figure out what's important to God and what's not important to God. And then making that thing that God Uh, desires most uh, central to our understanding of our life with him. Because like anything, uh, my wife uh, been married uh, 27 years, celebrating an anniversary uh, last week. And after 27 years, she said, 
Honey, this was an awesome anniversary. I'm not going to tell you what I did because then other guys will be saying, yeah, you made the rest of us look bad. But uh, I just want to say she was thrilled. And all I can say is, yeah, it took me 27 times to get it right. But as she's looking at me, she said, yeah, I've been working on you a long time. Uh, But the cool thing that I like about the relationship is, uh, even though I have imperfections, she loves me anyway. And it wasn't like, okay, once you get your imperfections all worked out, then I'll come close. But only when you perfect your character flaws will I consider, you know, being close to you. No, she she said, uh, that's where grace is. Uh, We love each other uh, despite maybe those things about us that aren't ideal. And if you've uh, ever been down that road, you know that it starts off with literally a honeymoon period where things are coursing through your your brain that are uh, the love hormones. And then all of a sudden, about six months after, they shut off. And what was once a glass half full, all of a sudden becomes a glass half empty. Because the shadowy side of who we are begins to bubble to the top. And people see us uh, in our, our weaknesses when we have to live together under the same roof day in and day out. And it's a challenge for any relationship for those aspects of each of us that are our shadow selves, those parts of us that maybe aren't on display publicly, but privately we know these are areas that we struggle in. And God is in the business of helping us in those very areas, not because he just wants to fix us up, but because he knows that those areas get in the way of even better things that he would like to bring into our relationship with him. And in the case of people that we love and live with, better things in how those two people And if they become a family, how they all relate together. God is in the business of making relationships work. And that's why it's so easy for me to tell you the good news. And the good news isn't, well, if you believe in Jesus, who you don't know, have never seen, and know very little about, and there's a transaction, he'll save you from hell. That's kind of good news, but for a lot of people... Not really. They're asking the question, how can I get close to God so that I can become who I, who I was made to be but struggle with in becoming? And some of us have come to the Lord with relationships that kind of dysfunctional, but the Lord somehow has said, I saved you so that I could continue to save you in all aspects of your being, both your shadow self and the self that everyone else sees. And as I've set it up that way, I want to go into part two of of this sermon that we're doing on thriving in Babylon, because a lot of us look at what's happening in the culture around us and in an election year and in the politics that are being portrayed on television and online, and we're asking ourselves, wow, this is really jacked up. Uh, I've and I tell my kids, I'm like, I apologize on behalf of uh, every adult uh, who behaves like that. And, you know, they, they, they understand. But as you and I look at what's happening on that larger front, 
we all have homes, we have families, we have things that we want to do and hope for, and it starts to create a sense of fear and worry and anxiety. But when you're in Babylon and those things are happening, there is a way for you and I to thrive. And some of the things that God will do in your life and mine to help us to be healthier, no matter where we're at, is to churn up to the top those things that are getting in the way. And if I had one summary statement for what I want to share, based on the story that we're getting ready to look at, and that is our gods, those things that we dedicate time and energy and attention to, those things maybe that emerge in our shadow self, must each die until we find the true God. And God loves us as we are, but he loves us enough not to keep us there. And when he sees us in that non-honeymoon period, all of a sudden, we become very aware that we have insecurities, we have selfishness, we have obsessions, we have things that we want to do that we know aren't of God and we maybe spend a lot of time and energy on them. Or perhaps we have lesser gods that are good in their own right, but because they're, in our minds, more important than God, they become something that is a form of worship. And I could just go through the list of all the things that are shadowy about us, myself included. And the one thing that I know is that God says, those things are there because somewhere along the way, you haven't put your confidence in me. You haven't trusted me in this area. Or you haven't come to understand how I can help you with fear. I can help you with insecurity. I can help you with arrogance. I can help you with those things that you're addicted to. I can help you with your fear of financial ruin or economic insecurity. I can help you with all of that because I am the true God and I made this world and I'm larger than this world. There were three people who especially got that in the book of Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 3, they understood and they'd settled in their own minds as believers that their own shadow self, their own gods that they once held up as being important, they realized that they just didn't really stand up to the goodness of knowing the true God. And as they worked that out, they went from people who were, transfor- to, from people who were struggling to transformed individuals. And these three people were part of a group of people that were taken out of Jerusalem and that whole area of the Middle East that God had declared judgment on because they had put lesser gods in charge of him. And God had said, I'm trying to get your attention on these things. You're not paying attention. You're going to church. You're doing the religious stuff that we set up. But you're not really engaged in the relationship that all this stuff is supposed to create. And God looked at him and he said, I've told you over and over, the prophets have told you, You're worshiping, but you're not even thinking about me. Your mind is somewhere else. And your life is showing the characteristics of those things that you worship. And God finally said, enough, I'm done. And he said, there's another guy who loves himself more than anyone else. And he happens to be behind the steering wheel of the world empire. 
And he's in charge in his mind. And he is great and he is awesome. And he loves himself and he wants everyone else to love him as much as he loves himself. And his name as the king of Babylon in the capital city of Nineveh is Nebuchadnezzar. And God said, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come down here and he's going to take you to the woodshed. And you're not going to like it. And it's going to be hard because, well... You've been indifferent to the relationship that we've had. And I'm still in it. I'm still in it for the long haul. But it's got no point where I've just got to give you over to this stuff. And churning up in that judgment were good people and bad people. They were believers and then there were just, you know, religious people who said they feared God but didn't. Daniel was one of them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three others. Who could have said, God... We didn't do this stuff. We've been worshiping you the whole time. Why are you declaring judgment on all of us? And God said, that's just how it has to work. But take comfort in knowing this. I'll be with you. No matter what circumstances I throw my people into, just remember, stick with me. I will certainly stick with you. And whatever you have to face, I'm right there with you. And I'll lead you through it. I want to say that to you as people who live in the United States right now in these times. It may get chaotic, but keep God close. God may be up to something that's larger than us. He may be trying to get our attention. And for those who have his attention, he just wants to assure you, don't make fear of God in this. Trust me. So in our story, we have a guy who isn't just Nebuchadnezzar, he is the Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, I am so great, and I am in charge of so much, and all of the nations that are now under my control, well, I'm the guy. And he wanted to just underscore that to the nth degree. So he commissioned a statue to be made in his image and his likeness. And it was 90 feet tall, so that everyone who saw it said, Oh yeah, that's Nebuchadnezzar, the great one. And he called all the people who were the leaders. You know, these are leaders of countries, leaders of provinces, and, and, and lesser municipalities. And he said, all right, now here's the deal. We're going to kind of gather around this thing. We're going to play some awesome music. And when that music is played, well, it's time to worship. And guess what? Time to worship me. That thing represents me. And so everybody said, okay. And he said, I know you'll be motivated to do it because if you don't do it, well, I just have to throw you in the fiery furnace. And they're like, oh yeah, we're going to worship you. you we're, we're all ears and eyes. Whatever you say, you are the, you're the mighty one. And this is the situation that four believers found themselves in. This ridiculous scenario of someone who's so self-absorbed that they have no perspective on reality, especially God's realities. Now everyone else who unfortunately were worshiping the God of fear and who were caught up in the dark, darker self of anxiety and worry about how this was going to impact their lives, God just said, I want to show them something. I want to show Nebuchadnezzar something. And I'm going to use my people, as I always do, to make it happen. So Nebuchadnezzar made the declaration. 
And this is what we read uh, in that chapter of uh, chapter 3 of the book of Daniel. I'm just going to pick up uh, partway through. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of all that music and stuff, you must fall down and worship the image of God, image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard all that music, they, from every language, fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Alright, so you can imagine Sunday worship was a little different than this worship gathering here. It was a way of just underscoring that he's in control. And God says, my people are in this predicament because they've put other things in control of their lives rather than me. How do you know something is controlling your life? I would say a pretty good way to do it is just to look back on the course of your week and think about those things that you are most passionate about. Those things that you spend the most time doing. Those things that you think about and engage with constantly. And then consider that relative to your relationship with God. And if you're honest with yourself, which is a hard thing to do sometimes, is there something else that's getting in the way? And that's, that something else becomes a part of your shadow self. It's a part of you that's not contributing to who you are in Christ. It's a part of you that says, you really want to worship me, not him. You can go to church and worship him, but I'm really more important. And I believe God will churn up in the course of our lifetime here on earth different things about ourselves that he says, we got to deal with this before we can move on. And maybe he's churning something up in your life. And you may be asking, how? And that's really the point of the message title. God will allow us to go through things that are difficult, that are painful, that are really battles at times. And the reason he does that is he wants us to understand that as, as we go through them, we're going to lean on those resources that we truly feel are going to be most effective to get it through. And a lot of times what we lean on isn't necessarily reflective of the God that we say we're committed to. Some of us may lean on alcohol. Some of us may lean on forms of escapism. Some of us may say, I'm just going to lean on my worry. I'm just going to worry, 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 worry. Some of us look at the news, and then they look at another channel, and another channel, and another channel. Can somebody give me some good news here? And fear begins to create a sense of paranoia. Bless you. And as that happens, um, God's saying, where am I at in this? Am I not the God who made this? Am I not the God who called you to be a part of my family? Am I not the God who said, trust me? There were three people who said, yeah, God, you've kind of been working on us a long time. We started out in our faith as little, little kids, and we believe that God is good, and if we behave, we'll be blessed. Kind of a transactional thing. He does this, we do that, we're blessed. 
And in a lot of ways, God does deal with us that way. But then things start to happen that don't make any sense at all. And we're like, God, I thought we had a deal. I thought there was an arrangement. I thought you were a good God. I thought if I did this, you would do that. And God's like, well, truth be told, relationships aren't transactional, like buying something at the store. You give something, they give you something back. Relationships are actually transformational. And at times, you have to understand, I'm letting you go through stuff, and you're doubting me, which is perfectly fine, because you're wondering if I'm really a good God. And God's okay with that doubt, because what that doubt does is it begins to help us truly process whether or not we are committed to this God or not, that we trust this God no matter what or not. And here's what happens. That doubt begins to just sort of take apart everything that we believed up till now. And right now, there are a lot of atheists who said, God just didn't work out for me. There are a lot of people outside the boundaries of the church who say, yeah, I still believe in God, but I just don't get a lot of stuff. I especially don't get church. And then there are others, and I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were like this. They said, God, we've kind of been through this. And we know you always have our back, no matter what. And we know that it's not an exchange type of thing. It is just trust, and you've transformed us in the process, and we've trusted you, and you've led us through stuff, and we've trusted you more and more, and here we are completely removed from everything that we know and love. And we still trust you because you are God. And God said, well, we got, we got some work to do on this guy who has a huge shadow self named Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm going to use you in a way to cast light on who he really is before me. He is not a God. He is not that powerful. Matter of fact, he's only doing what I'm letting him do. But in his own mind, he thinks it's all good. And God does that for you and I. He uses other people to reveal things about ourselves. Have you ever gotten mad at somebody who said something to you that you know was true and it spoke to your shadow self and you're like, uh-uh, is not. Who do you think you are? Quit judging me. And it's just us saying, yeah, we do know that. Or you see a characteristic in other people that you know you have and you're kind of mean to those people because, well, I don't like that quality, so I don't like that person. And maybe it's because I see that in myself and I'm treating other people badly for that reason. And God looks at all of that crazy stuff that we do and engage in. He says, that's just jacked up. We got to get this sorted out. So let's just bubble this to the top so you can see it for what it is. And I'd just like to come alongside anyone that I can as people have come alongside me and helped me to deal with things inside of me. They're not fit for living with God forever. Now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had kind of been through that. They're like, God, we're in it for the long haul. So God said, okay, here's what's going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar is going to say something. It's going to be completely ridiculous. You know who God is. Just stick, stick with me. So here's what we find out. The shadow self 
of Nebuchadnezzar is about to surface, and maybe your shadow self is surfacing as well in this gathering. And the only way you can see it is to cast some light on. I want to show you some slides real quickly just to give you a little perspective. Okay. Now, um, let's show just the, um, the, the first slide. It's, that's it. You guys see that Dodge Challenger there? Six-speed Hemi? Plum Crazy Purple. You see it? You see it? No, you can't see it, can you? The light is so bright, there are no shadows. There is nothing to differentiate the colors. It's just bright. And God is perfect light. And when God shines his light into our world, what is there is revealed by the shadows that help enhance our capacity to see it. So here's an example, just so I'm not too abstract here. Because this is where we're going with it. Let's just show uh, one, one or two slides that follow that. If it wasn't for the shadows, you would not see the contours of the sand dunes. The shadows help differentiate uh, the space and our understanding of what that is. And here, here's another example. You would not see the shape of the sand dune, per se, if there wasn't that kind of light that differentiates uh, the, the, the different... Um, uh, types of, of shapes there. And I'll just show one more real quickly and then make the point. Beautiful sunset, yet all the shadows and clouds and everything, they give a certain definition to that and enhance it in ways that you wouldn't if it was just a bright, clear, white light facing you and you're thinking, I don't see anything. So shadows serve a purpose and the light does the job of revealing what the shadows are saying. So st stick with me. All right. Now we're getting ready to see a very bright light from a fiery furnace that is intended to destroy because the guy in charge says, I'm that powerful. But what it does is it reflects back on the person who would destroy God's people. So here's how the story unfolds as you look at shadows and photography and how light is important but shadowing is just as important um, in, uh, in, in the rest of the scripture that we have as, um, as we just kind of wind down to the point furious with rage because those three said we're not going to do that that's dumb he's like huh you called me dumb and he's so insecure that when you said dumb it was like Bells and whistles went off, and he's like, I'm throwing you in. Only I am so incensed by your attack on my greatness, it's over. So he cranks the heat up seven times. And as the men are brought before the king, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, I'll give you a chance. If you say, yeah, we'll worship, it's all good. Forgotten about. But just kind of going to the next, next slide, because I summarized what you saw up there. Um, I'm not going to throw you into the fiery furnace. But if you do not do what you're told to do, when you're told to do it, because I'm a God and I'm telling you, you have to do it, and I'm putting fear in you to make sure that you do it. This is what will happen. Next slide. Then what, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Those three said, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve, he's able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from it. 
from your majesty's hand, from your greatness. Then the clincher is this. This really just rubs salt into the wound. Go on to the next slide. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. But even if not, we're not doing it. You're not going to intimidate us. You're not going to scare us. We're not going to live in fear. We're not going to cower and worry. We're not going to serve you as a God. We serve one God and he's in control here. And even if we die, he's still in control of that. Because this God is so full of life. And his life is living in us. And we're so full of that life that even if our mortal bodies are destroyed in this altercation, we don't care. Because we're still with God even beyond this. Now, is that confidence in the relationship or what? Now, my question to you, how does that differ between us and them? There really isn't any different. God is still the same God. He still loves us in the same way. He still wants us to trust us. And he still wants to assure us that even if things destroy us, they're not really going to destroy us. Because I'm living in you and you can't kill me. So please don't let those other gods obscure that understanding. So here they are, and it's, it's a standoff. Now here's how it concludes. They crank it up, like I said earlier, and as they do, they're thrown in, and the people that throw them in are actually burned to a crisp as they're doing it, yet inside that furnace, as it is brightly blazing, Onto the faces of the onlookers, especially Nebuchadnezzar, it's revealing something. It's revealing, as Nebuchadnezzar looks in the fiery furnace, wait, there's one more. Well, it must be a God greater than me. And he pulls him out, and this is his response. God has revealed Nebuchadnezzar for who he is. As God reveals to you and I who we are. And as we do that, God is so gracious, he doesn't destroy us because we don't comply in some way with being imperfect. Rather, he just loves us. He just continues to love us without any expectation other than we will come close. And you know the thing I notice about coming close to God? Those shadowy aspects of of ourselves, myself, yourself, that wonderful light, that wonderful love, it is so powerful that I look at those shadowy things and I say, how did those things even find a place in my attention? When... God has been here the whole time and he's wanted to come close and I haven't let him come close. But when I do, wow, what joy, what love, what peace. And those three, they got it. They went from, I'm transacting with you, God. You do this, we do that. If you don't, we don't trust you anymore to, I work through all that. You're completely trustworthy. We are transformed people and we are connected to you. The pure light was blinding to Nebuchadnezzar because it revealed the shadows. And God revealed himself 
through that light. Now, let's just go to the last part of this story, and then, then we're done. Okay. Uh, the last few verses there, it said, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and rescued his servants. All of a sudden, the God is now worshiping the God. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any other God except their own. Isn't that strange? Why is he saying that? That didn't sound like him a minute ago. You know why? Because when the truth shines light on our lives, we can't help but say, that's the truth. He couldn't help himself, but he tries to go back into his shadow self again, even though admitting the obvious, he says this in the next, uh, next verse. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut to pieces, and their house will be turned into piles of rubber, ru- rubble and rubber, but that wasn't invented yet, for no other God can save in this way. I don't make a very good tyrant, so that's probably why God's got me doing what I'm doing. Um, but notice he's saying, I'm still powerful, right? I'm still, I can do this to you, right? I'm still powerful, right? He's trying to save himself. And I know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saying, that's pathetic. Is that all you got? And they weren't trying to be mean. They were just saying, you're not getting it. You're still believing the lies. Because the one who masquerades as the father of lights is casting light on your life and revealing shadows that aren't really shadows at all, making you think this is what's going on. But when the one true God reveals his light from the right angle, it just becomes blatantly obvious. Don't you see it? And he didn't. And as the story unfolds, this really isn't about... Us trying to make it under oppressive times. This is a story about us seeing God leverage oppressive times for his purposes. And this is really about Nebuchadnezzar and all those people who would worship all those other gods. And for us, it's really about us and our connection to him. And God loves us so much. But some of us have a vision of our faith that if I can just get everything right, if I can, you know, stop doing those things that I need to stop doing, maybe I'll come close. No. No question that he's working on those things. But the angle he's working at it is from his angle into our lives as opposed to us working from our angle into his. And the most powerful way he does it is through his son, who makes the relationship work when it couldn't otherwise, because his son is filled with grace and truth. And it's that grace and truth, Sunday after Sunday, that we want to share with you, as we know how much he longs for us, each of us, each of you, to know him.